gather as men that we gather in the name that's above every name. And as we gather, you promised where there's two or three, it's there. You're in the midst of us, God. You've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So, God, I thank you that as people stepped out today in faith, in the face of fear, they stepped out in faith. God, I, I declare shift happened in their lives. There was change because of obedience, Lord. Thank you, Daddy, for your amazing love for us. Lord, we just say, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Awesome. You know, I am so thankful that the Lord ministers to us right where we are. You know what I mean? That he meets us right where we are, that there are those times that he'll call us to come out, even as we've seen this morning, but he'll meet us where we are. And when he does, he does it in love. Sometimes it can seem uncomfortable, but he does it in love to pull us into a place that he has for us. Because, you know, it's so easy for us to get comfortable where we are. I was looking at that as we were talking about, as the Lord really prompted Mel about walking on water and stepping out. And uh, the Lord took me back to Matthew chapter 14. And um, so Matthew 14, verse 13. So what's happened? John the Baptist was just beheaded. That's pleasant, right? <laughs> That's a hallelujah spot right there. So John the Baptist was just beheaded. And uh, when Jesus, verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a, desert, a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. <laughs> and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So Jesus just got word that John the Baptist, you know, and we've, I've heard people say it was his good friend John. There wasn't a lot of interaction between Jesus and John. John gave his life to the, pro, the proclamation that Jesus the Messiah has come. He gave his life for that, and he, he laid his life down. That's why... When John was in prison, his understanding that Jesus the Messiah was coming, there was a, a limited understanding there. I think that he felt that Jesus was not just going to come and save men of their sin, but he was going to save the Jewish people from the oppression that they were under. And, uh, you know, it was John. You can look in the first, in, in, uh, John's, in the book of John, and... Uh, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, I'm not even worthy to unloose his, his sandals, un, un, uh, fasten his sandals. So John had an understanding of who Jesus was, wouldn't you say? I mean, he had spent his life for that. He was waiting for the He was in the wilderness. Come, 
preparing the way, saying, repent, because Jesus is coming. And then Jesus shows up. John says, behold, the Lamb of God, he, he baptizes him. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, we know the Spirit descends. They hear a, a, a loud noise as the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And from that point on, John's disciples, John started telling, hey, you need to follow him. You don't need to follow me. You need to follow him. He's the man. He's the Messiah. Follow him. But we know that John, when he was in, in uh, prison, he sent disciples to Jesus and said, go ask him if he's the one. I just want to make sure because this doesn't look exactly like I was expecting it to look. So he sent his disciples. They go. And what Jesus did at that point, it says that he, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. Why? Because John knew in the prophecies about the Messiah that these are the things he was going to do. Are you with me? So he said that. He, and Jesus did all these things. And then they, he said, go tell John what you see, what you've seen here. And they go back. And then he tells everybody else, there's not been a prophet greater than John. See, Jesus wanted John's faith not to be in his affirmation, but in the truth of the gospel, the word of God that he already knew in his heart. He was taking him back to what he knew when he started his ministry and what he began to proclaim. And Jesus did that to strengthen John. He said, go tell what you've seen, because they'd never seen anything like that. Do you think that today it would be pretty convincing that Jesus is alive if when every person who came in the room that was sick was healed? And they rolled in caskets and the people got up. That'd be pretty convincing that this guy named Jesus knew what he was talking about, right? So this John, John the Baptist, has just been killed and Jesus heard of it. And he said he went to a deserted place. He went apart to pray by himself. But the multitudes followed him on foot from the cities. See, I, I truly believe that the, the real gospel is a powerful gospel. And when people see the gospel, not just hear the gospel, and we've got to redefine what gospel is. Gospel's good news. It's not you're a sinner, you're going to hell. That's a fact. If you don't know Jesus, you're a sinner. You're going to hell. That's a fact. The good news is Jesus paid for sin, so you don't have to go to hell. A lot of people for a lot of years have preached the gospel is you're going to hell. That's not the gospel. That's a fact that unregenerate, unborn again, not saved people, their eternity is hell. Not because God sends them there, but because they don't receive forgiveness of sin. Amen. But Jesus here demonstrated the gospel. And then he went away. He was, he was a man like we are. So he was, he was sad because John's dead. John's been killed. And it said that, but in verse 14, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, I don't want to make light of this. We say Jesus was a man, but he was God. No, Jesus knew that John had given his whole life to proclaim who he was. He laid his whole ministry down and said, at the foot of Jesus and said, I just came to point you to him. 
So I think it meant a lot to Jesus. I think it, was, it, it troubled Jesus in his heart. It says that he went apart. I think it troubled Jesus in his heart emotionally, wouldn't you say? He was a man, right? He was God, but he was man. I think Jesus was troubled. And so Jesus goes apart. Not because he doesn't know that we win in the end. I read the back of the book and we win. It wasn't any of that. It was because personal relationship can bring struggle. Amen. So he was there and he, he was appreciative and knew the price that John had prayed. So he went apart. But here's what's so beautiful to me. In the midst of that, Jesus didn't just go in the mountain and have a pity party and sulk because these wicked people killed his, uh, his predecessor. Are you with me? He was moved, and then when he saw the multitude, he was moved again with compassion, and he did something about it. He didn't stay in the, in the secret place, in the hiding place, and I feel like that's something the Lord is saying. It's so easy when we're in the midst of something that's troubling us, when we're in the midst of something we don't understand, it's easy to get upset and go into our hiding place, and we can justify it and call it, well, I'm just getting along with God. And what, we become, what it becomes is instead of a, play, a sanctuary, it becomes a place of solitude. Thank you. So this place that we can go in refuge to him can become, instead of a, a paradise, it can become a prison because we stay there longer than God intended us to stay because our attention moves from the hurt to being hurt. And we just camp there. But he didn't do that. I mean, I don't feel that when John was dead, Jesus went like, dang, hate that happened. I think it, it, it stirred him. But when he saw people in need, what did Jesus, this is so awesome. In pain, what did Jesus do? He healed. Well, what's our tendency to do when we're hurting and we're in pain is to just draw back. Well, I don't have, I can't do anything because look where I'm at. Right? And Jesus did just the opposite. He it said, and when Jesus went out, he saw great, a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, <laughs> They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then when, the, when he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven, he blessed and broke it and gave to the, the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So, scholars say it could have been anywhere from uh, five to 15,000 people that, that were fed in this one seating. And I think what's so awesome when you look at this, Jesus blessed the bread <clears throat> and the fish, and then he gave it to the disciples and it was, I believe, as you study this and the other reference to this, that it was multiplied in the hands of the disciples as they gave it out. They didn't come back to Jesus every time and say, bless it again so we can give more out. They went out, and it was, it was multiplied in their hands. 
I mean, that'd be, just, that'd be pretty cool, right? You knew there were 12, and you started with five loaves and two fish, and let's just say 5,000. We know it was more than that because he says it wasn't women and children. It wasn't counting women. Well, let's just be generous on the low end and say 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fish. In the natural, we couldn't feed this room with five loaves and two fish. And they fed 5,000. That's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. Verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now evening came... He was alone there, but, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. <laughs> and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. So what did Jesus deal with at that particular moment? When they saw him and they cried out, what was the first thing that he said? Don't worry, you're going to make it. No, what did he do? He dealt with fear. He said, be of good cheer, it's I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, <laughs> you know, it depends on who you read, different scholars, and I use that word, term loosely, scholars different writings, I guess it would be better, about perspective of what's going on here when Peter answered. I think Peter was in true form of who Peter was. Is that many times Peter spoke before he thought? <laughs> right? They were on the, temp, the Mount of Transfiguration. There's uh, Jesus there and Moses and Elijah are with him. And Peter wakes up and goes, this is amazing. Let's build three temples. And he knows you're not supposed to worship people, right? Peter says, I won't deny you, Lord. I'll die for you. And whacks the guy's ear off. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Was Jesus talking to, G to Peter while he was putting the ear back on? Now, Peter. BK <laughs> said that to see. Now, Peter. I said, put that away. <laughs> and you can imagine the, sol the soldier's going. He said, what, like, whack? And he's like, wow, I hate that happen. <laughs> he was in pain, right? Let me get my knife out. Who wants to volunteer an ear? <laughs> it was not pleasant. Peter, and then here, Peter said, God, if, if, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. Now, do you really think Peter thought that through? <coughs> Absolutely not. He was worried in the boat, right? He was scared in the boat. They were afraid, first, because they were in the waves, second, because they thought they were seeing a ghost, so they were full of fear. He wasn't thinking logically. I mean, if you're scared in the boat, it makes no sense to think you're going to step out of the boat and feel better. 
right? That just makes no sense at all. So Peter, in, like, in, in true fashion, says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he really left no room for Jesus to have a discussion with him. Because he said, if it's you, command me. So could Jesus deny who he was? No. So he, he responded to what Peter said. He said, come. So Peter did. He said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to, beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. He didn't go into an explanation of how it should be done or why, how sorry he was that now he found himself out of the boat in the water needing to be saved. He didn't say, he didn't do any of that. He just said, Lord, save me. And what did Jesus do? He reached down. So one of two things happened. Either he had walked a good distance and gotten close to Jesus, or Jesus had continued to walk to get close to him, or Jesus was translated from where he was to where Peter was. But it said when, Jesus, when Peter cried out, Lord, save me, it says Jesus reached down, right? Okay, let me see. <laughs> Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, that seems very illogical that Jesus would look at Peter, who's sinking in the water, on water, going underwater, saying, why did you doubt? Well, uh, look, I'm sinking. <laughs> Go figure. I'm <laughs> not sure how that happened. But Jesus met him where he was, and as I said, either he had walked some distance out of the boat to Jesus, or Jesus had continued to walk to him during this this process of dialogue, or when he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And it says immediately, not delayed. It was immediate that Jesus responded to him and reached out for him. That should be comforting to us. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You continue reading in verse 34 through 36. It says that they get to the other side. And when the men of the place recognized, uh, verse 35, recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. I've shared this before, but I'll, I'll share it again. The hem of his garment would have been his prayer shawl, and it says the, the hem would have been the zitzit, which is the wing, which is also called the wing of the prayer shawl. And so when it said, and Isaiah says that when the Messiah has come, he'll come with healing in his wings. That's pretty cool. And so when he was walking, he would have had his prayer shawl, and they were touching the wings of his prayer shawl, and they were healed. As many as touched it were healed. Look in context of what's going on. And the reason I say that is because he made a statement to Peter. He said this to Peter. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Because what has happened prior to this? Before Peter got in the boat, Jesus, John the Baptist had been beheaded. Jesus went away. And when all the multitudes came to him, he came out and he was moved with compassion, told his disciples, don't send them away. Let's feed them. 
So they had just seen. They had not just seen. They had partook and been a part of the feeding of the 5,000. They were an intricate part in that. So when Peter's here, it's a totally different situation. But I've noticed in my own life, maybe it's just me, and the Lord says I have to be transparent. I've noticed in my life, I can see God do some amazing things in my life, and then something else comes at me that's different than what I faced before, and I find myself in fear and unbelief going, man, where did this come from? Why is this happening? And I turn my attention to me or the storm instead of Jesus. And I know that he just reminded me of who he was, that he just demonstrated who he was in my life, in the life of others. It may not have been a personal thing for me. It could have been someone we prayed for, and we saw God supernaturally show up and just do a miracle in someone's life. And we can go from those things, and what, what happens is we forget. You know why? Because we choose what we meditate on. We choose what we meditate on. So what we do is we meditate on what's not going on instead of who he is and what he's done. We meditate on what's facing me right now versus the faithfulness of who he has been and who he will always be. We go away from this, which are testimonies of who he is. It's him, but it's also testimonies of him and who he is and how he works and what he'll do. It's so, he's so good. I was this morning up early and, and went into my prayer closet, and I have scriptures all on the wall. I don't remember how many, uh, 20 or 30 scriptures on the wall. And there were some things that were just in my mind, and, and I had allowed myself to meditate on. And I went in, and I just started reading the scriptures out loud, declaring these scriptures. And I got to Psalms 103. Psalms 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. They went from there to Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And I, I noticed with my lightning fast mind that I had not been leaning into him. I had not been understanding. I had not been blessing the Lord, oh, my soul, and remembering his faithfulness from generation to generation. And what happened? See, here's, here's the thing. When we get in that place, we get so focused on us that we can't see anyone else. Jesus did not do that. In Matthew, John was beheaded. And Jesus, I think he mourned. I don't think he got depressed. I think it, it grieved his heart. Not because it surprised him. We're not going to get into all that foreknowledge and all of that. But because of the relationship and what John had sacrificed and given for him, Jesus was a man. We see throughout scriptures, he was moved with compassion. He was grieved in his, spirit, in his heart. So we see these things. So he was not immune to the realities of emotions that we face. 
but he did not allow those emotions to control him. So he being there, understanding what had just taken place. I mean, just think, I believe Jesus in, in his humanity could have thought back to that when his disciples came and he, he could have thought, man, I could have just said to, to those disciples, man, tell John I love him. He's doing an awesome job. Is that too real for you? That Jesus wouldn't think anything like, because he's Jesus. Remember, he floated. He didn't touch the ground. His feet never got dirty. He didn't sweat. (laughs) I'm not being sacrilegious. I'm being real. He was a man who lived in this world. He lived in a climate that's hot. And it's dirty. They didn't have paved roads. They didn't have air-conditioned autos that they jumped in. Right? Jesus the Bible says was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So he encountered emotion, but he chose not to allow his emotion to get him self-centered. And he, he was moved, and he, he ministered to the multitude. So then, as I said here, Psalms 103 is a declaration. Bless the Lord. David writing, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So if he's saying, forget not all his benefits, then what's that mean? You can do what? You can. You can forget all his benefits. So if we forget them, does that nullify them and make them no good? No. What it means is it, it stops the power that they have to work in our lives. Let's put it in the natural. You put some money away. My dad calls it squirreling. He squirrel a little money back. You put a little money back, and you get busy, and you forget that you put the money back. Do you have the money? You possess the money. Is it any benefit to you when you don't know that you have it? Did the money lose its value when you squirreled it away? You can't even say it's, it's lost because you put it somewhere. <laughs> you don't know where it is. But so what's been lost is the value and the ability for that money to make a difference in your life. The money's still the money. And the same thing happens with us. And that's what the Lord was really speaking to my heart about this week as I was away and just focusing on him. One of the things he talked about is we don't choose whether or not we're a light. We are a light. If you're born again... And if you're not born again, you're in the right place. We'll help you with that today. And you can allow the light of life to come and give you light in your darkness because when you're not born again, you're in darkness. Doesn't mean that you're a bad person. You can be a great person. But you're in darkness because you're separated from God and God is light. And light's not in you. You with me? But once we get born again and light comes into us, when we have light in us, then we have a responsibility with what we do with that light. Right? And he said, we don't, you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. But you put it up where all men can see it so that you can be a light. And as I was just meditating on that, as we, we've been talking about Azusa Street and uh, the, about the revival there that happened at, in 1906. And we've been talking about 
our core values as a church and where we are is outreach. And here's what has happened. He, and it's happened through this, the, the, the picture I just painted about us, how easy it is to get focused on us and even where we've missed it and the mistakes we've made. All of those things, it's just distractions where we can't see him anymore because we're too busy focusing on us. If we missed it, here's what's beautiful. Repent. You know what repent is? Change your mind. Change your mind, and when you change your mind, you'll change your direction. Amen. So as we repent and we believe what God says about us, who he says that we are, that change. Repentance is not when we go to God and tell him how unworthy we are. That's not repentance. That's, that's self-focus. Because I go to him, and all I'm looking at is me. If I'm not mistaken, and I'm not, when they took the lamb to be sacrificed, they didn't examine the bringer. They examined the lamb. The person bringing the lamb knew they needed the lamb. That's why they were there. That's why they had taken care of the lamb. They brought a spotless lamb so that the lamb could be examined and he could be declared clean and worthy for the sacrifice of their sins. So all the attention was on the lamb. Amen. That's good news. And when we do that, when we put the attention on the lamb, it allows the life of the lamb to be released through us or the light of the lamb. Here's what I've also seen that we're good about doing is we want to compare this little light of mine to this little light of Ben's or this little light of Tina's or this little light of Phyllis's. And we determine whether or not we're effective on what my light looks like beside of their light. And we'll determine what's effective on the amount of light that they give off versus the amount of light I give off. And they go, well, when I get a light like they got, then I can do something. God said, no, this light that you have, I gave you. And the more that you allow it to shine, the more influence it'll have. And the bigger that the influence will grow and the more people you can reach. But what we do is this. We take our light and we go, yeah, no, I can't show that. No, that's embarrassing. And someone comes in, and they've got a big light. And they come in, and it says, woo, and you go, yeah, I put that in my pocket. And they let nobody know I got a light. Put that away, safekeeping. That way I'm safe. They're safe. Everybody's safe. And his big light can just get it done. And his or her big light sweeps through the room, and they keep going. And you're there, and you pull it out again. You go, no, I can't do anything with that. And we tuck it back away. And he's called us. See, outreach is not a thing that we do. It's a life that we live. Outreach is getting up and singing that little song, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And saying, God, I choose to be a light. I choose to allow <clears throat> what you've placed on the inside of me to make a difference wherever I am. See, we... First, foundationally, we must understand that that, that light's been placed on the inside of us. And, and we shared that uh, last week. One of the scriptures, uh, Ephesians 5. For you once, you were once darkness. Isn't that cool? 
He didn't say you, he didn't say you had darkness. He said you once were darkness. It's what you were. Why? Because you were separated from light. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak those things which done it by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I, um, as I was reading this this week and, and just looking into it, I, I started again studying light and darkness, and darkness is the absence of light. They, and I went in, I tried to pull a Tish, and I'm just not there. Tish is all about physics and getting into all this, and she'll give you this thing that just makes you want to go, because she gets it. I'm not there. I've, I can go there with someone, but it's not where I go by myself. But as I was looking at it, I read a bunch of different things, different uh, people talking about physics and all this other stuff. But basically, what we understand is light, that darkness is the absence of light. Darkness in itself is just where light is void. And he said, you were darkness, but now I've made you light. So what he said is you were void, and I put life and light in you. So it's not, the battle's not between light and darkness. The battle is this, understanding I'm a light and allowing my light to supersede and overrule darkness. And if we devalue what God's put in us and what he's done because we don't understand, then it's easy to forget who God is and who we are in him. Therefore, we discount uh, what God said I can do through you because we wait until we feel like we're good enough to do what God's called us to do. And here's this. Here's, here's what I want you to know. What God's called you to do may not be stand up here and preach. It may be just you share who Jesus is to you where you are. And as you're faithful in the little, he said he'll make us ruler over much. So what God is saying is he's calling us to allow our light to shine. That's what real outreach is. It's not that we plan an event and go out and win Gibsonville for Jesus. Is planning an event, going out and winning Gibsonville for Jesus a bad thing? No, but what we've become as a culture is event-driven. Just as I've shared about Azusa here on the 9th, it's not about an event, but there is an event that's going to take place. It's about the process of knowing who he is and allowing his light to shine through us. And I believe as we gather in an event, God's going to show up in a mighty way. I believe that. I don't discount that at all. I've continued to stir as the Lord uh, has caused me to remember about what I don't remember. He's taken me to Revelation 19.10. It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what he's saying is when you read testimonies and you see who Jesus is, yes, from the word, when we read the word and we say, this is who he is, he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he can repent. So in Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is not who he tries to be or who he used to be, it's who he is. And when I find out that's who I am in him, John 14, 12 says, greater works than these shall you do because I go to the father, Right? So he said, these things are going to be happening in you and through you. 
Why? What's the purpose of them? That he would receive the glory, that he receive his just reward for the price that he paid for laying down his life for men, not just to be born again, but for men and women to be born again, set free and walking in all that God has for us. The enemy tries his best to lull us to sleep in the midst of what's going on with us so that we can't see. And you know what that is? I'm just going to be straight. That's not humility. That's pride. We've been sold a false bill of goods. They said when we discount who we are and what we're able to do, that we're just being humble. No, what you're doing is you're being prideful. You're more concerned about what you think you can do than who Jesus says you are. And I say that to me. I'm not pointing my finger at anyone. I'm just saying that's what happens when we start focusing on ourselves instead of on him. I remember I read something about Bill Johnson. He said this. He said, when God prompts me to do something, I never take an evaluation of whether I have faith or not. He said, I step out in, in obedience and do what I feel God's telling me to do. Because if I start evaluating, do I have faith? I'll talk myself out of doing what God's told me to do. Any, anybody ever been there? Just in the practical, you feel like God said, I want you to do something. Then you start evaluating. What if I step out and I mess it up? God said, what if you don't step out and nothing happens? Psalms 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, and here's what the Lord was saying to me about that. He said, it's a lamp to my feet. As I step out with the light of the lamp, I can see right where my feet is. He said, as I step out in obedience to do what he's telling me to do, then he said, I will light your path. But it starts with the lamp of our feet. It, and here's the thing, even in prophetic words, we talk about prophetic words. Many times when you give a prophetic word, what you have is just a little thing. You don't even, it doesn't even make sense sometimes. But when you step out in obedience and that little bit of light that you have, God begins to share more light. We were uh, down to see some friends this past week, a couple of days, uh, to see Donna and BK. A lot of people here know Donna and BK. They've ministered here before. And uh, we were at Walmart, and uh, we, we walk up to the, the counter to check out. And I look at BK, and I can tell he's like, all right. So he said, I'm just going to be bold and say, I feel that you know Jesus, don't you? He didn't ask her, do you know Jesus? He said, I'm just going to step. She said, yep. And uh, after he said that, after he, after he made that statement, he said, you're a believer, he, he, um, he said, where do you go to church? And she told where she went to church. And he said, what's God doing there? And she said, well, right now we got a mess. <laughs> he said, really? She said, yeah. She didn't go into detail. She said, it's just a mess right now. He said, well, we want to pray with you. And, and we did right there in Walmart at the counter we just prayed. We prayed for her, prayed for her church, and that God would be glorified in that place. Don't know, I still don't know what was going on in that church, but here's what I do know. It was something that was on her heart, and had he not stepped out in the light that he had to just say, hey, you're a believer, then he wouldn't have been led because he said, I had nothing past that. And he said, once I stepped, in and stepped out in that, the Lord had me ask her the next two questions, and we were able to pray with her. And you go, well, that wasn't mountain moving. You weren't her. We have no idea 
the impact of what God did in that. Because, see, here's the thing. Look at your neighbor. Look at your other neighbor. No one you looked at is that individual's savior. You're not their savior. The person to your right, to your left is not their savior. What are you saying? What I'm saying is this. I've got to be obedient to allow my light to shine so that God may bring someone else behind me that's going to reveal something else to them because he's the one who saves, not me. If we get event-driven that I've got to have everybody pray or I've got to have everybody a specific word before I have any impact, what we've done is diminished who Jesus says we are. And we've not allowed his light to come out because we'll, we'll qualify or quantify our light by that of someone beside us. And we'll discount what God is wanting us to do. See, outreach is saying, Jesus, here I am. Outreach is saying, Jesus, I'm probably at some point going to say, Lord, save me. Because I'm going to step out in something. But I thank you that I know you're there. That you've promised you will never leave me nor forsake me. We choose. It's our choice. What we focus on. So I'm, I don't think I'm going to read it. But it's so cool. The Lord is amazing. Do you know that? If you didn't, you do now. Take my word. I'm not lying. He's good. So this whole thing with Azusa here, and and we'll give more. uh, We've got a place for it. It's going to be April 9th. It's going to be from 10 in the morning to 6 in the evening. It's going to be a day of worship and prayer, of consecration, coming apart and saying, God, we're going to take the day to spend and set our eyes on you, not begging you to do anything, but just saying, God, we're those vessels that say, as you pour yourself out, we're here. And we have a home for it now. It's going to be in, in Greensboro. On Smith Street, uh, it's at Convergence School of Supernatural Ministry. You say, I'm good with this, right? Looking at Tish, <laughs> feeding me the words. It's Center City Church, but we've talked about it. Instead of saying we're doing it in the church, Convergence School is doing it. They're going to host it for us. He's got a nice building there that's a lot bigger than our building. And uh, I'm really, really excited about what God's going to do in that. So this weekend, as we were away, uh, this past week, as we were away a couple of days, we were down at Donna BK, and, and we were t- I was talking about Azusa and what the Lord is stirring in my heart, and I said, it's not about an event, it's about a transformation. He said, man, you remember that book I gave you? I said, you didn't give me a book. <laughs> he said, yeah, you know the book, the guy who went and he interviewed all the kids of the people who were involved in Azusa Street, and they told their story, and it's full of testimonies about who God is and what God did. I was like... Man, that sounds real familiar. I think I've read that book. <laughs> Possibly you give me that. You gave me that book. So I went home and I found that book. They told me their stories is the name of the book. And he just goes through and he interviews all these kids. And, uh, well, not kids. Some of them were 18 and 20. And some of them that were here in this that were 12 and 13 years old became leaders of major denominations in America, Assemblies of God. Uh, Two of the young guys, and what was so amazing, one of the things I read, he was 12 years old, 
and the miracles that they saw as a 12-year-old, and not just that they saw, but they participated in, that they would go and they would pray. And he talked about this, and he said that there was a Shekinah glory. There was a manifest presence of God that would come in the room. And he said when the manifest presence of God came in the room like that, he said miracles would start happening. He said there was a, I'll share this one testimony. And I can't remember who the guy was that I was reading, the, the person that did it. But he said that there would, the presence of the Lord came in the room and it was so strong. And this person brought 35 deaf people to the meeting. And he said, there was such faith in the room because who God is and who they had seen God, they, that he wasn't going to pray for one. He said he was believing that they would all be healed. And he said, he told the teacher, he said, they're all going to get healed. And the teacher laughed at him. And he said, why did you bring them to a meeting where people are getting healed if you didn't think they were going to get healed? He said, just get back. <laughs> Tell them, get out of the way. He told everybody, get in a circle and hold hands. And he started telling them what he was going to do. And then he realized they can't hear. So the teacher's laughing at him, saying, they can't hear you. They don't understand what you're saying. So what he did is this. He just went up to the first guy right to his right, and he whispered in his, healed, in his ear, and he said, be healed in Jesus' name. And the guy's ears popped open. And when his ears popped open, his expression, like this, everybody in the room was ignited in faith. And every one of them in the circle, their ears popped open. Every one of them were healed right then, right there. He prayed for the one guy right beside him, and then everybody in the circle got healed because faith was awakened. You know what? He didn't allow his light to be put under a bushel. He didn't allow the mocking of someone else to discourage him. Why? Because he knew who God was. He was faithful, and he had been there doing it night after night. The Lord had. So he put his trust in the Lord, and he, did, he just walked in obedience. And 35 people, he said they would bring people in from the, from the nursing homes, and they would pray for three or four minutes. And he said you could hear bones cracking and popping as arthritis was coming out of their joints, and they would stand up. Every, every one of those testimonies just declared who Jesus is and what he wants to do right here, right now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who Jesus is. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And through every one of those, every time someone was healed, God got glory for it. One, one more. I know I don't have this. I don't have There's a lady. She was 19, 18 years old, I think, and she was praying. She went up to this woman. She had a heart to pray for kids, and this woman had a baby with a crooked neck, and the baby couldn't breathe well because of the, what was going on in the neck. She took the baby, and she covered the baby with a blanket and just began to pray over the baby. And as she did, she felt the neck and the baby just straighten out. And she said the baby was emotionless and uh, expressionless when she took the baby. She was just there. <clears throat> and I'm, I mean like six-month-old baby, something like that. She said she looked under and saw the baby's neck. Straight, and she just began to cry. And the mother asked, what's wrong with my baby? Did she die? And she pulled the blanket back and she saw that her baby was straight. And the guy interviewed and said, did you hand the baby back to the mama? She said, no, I couldn't hand the baby back because she took off running. Said so she was running around the warehouse screaming. To, this what happened. Listen, listen, listen. So she takes the baby home to her husband who didn't come to the meeting, who's not a Christian. And her husband sees the baby, gets born again, 
comes back to the meeting, gets on fire for God, and pastors a church, in Los, a large church in Los Angeles for 35 years. 35 years. Because this 18, 20-year-old was willing to step out and let their light shine and do what God had told, felt, they felt led to do. Why? Because their attention was on the Lord. And here's, you know, let's stand. Maybe if you stand, I'll stop. But you know what was so amazing when I, watched, when I read these things? And this is why I say, we, you, God gives us a new wine skin. I know I talked about lights, and I talked about obedience. There's a little light of mine. I can talk about salt. I can talk about a bunch of things. I talk about stepping out of boat. Talk about new wine skin. The reason God gives us new wine skin is because when he pours stuff in, it doesn't look like what we're familiar with. And if we don't know his voice and we don't know him, we can reject what he's doing. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for me because God has placed his light on the inside of us. And he said, as we steward that light of faith, we allow who is in us to affect Christ crucified. But if we will look at those around us and determine whether you our mind has impact or effect, then what we're doing is discounting who God is. Call me into life. So I want to encourage you. It doesn't matter.